All right, hello everybody, and welcome to the Mayor Greg Fisher podcast. I'm Greg Fisher. With me today is Erica Shields, who I recently swore in as chief of our Louisville Metro Police Department. Chief Shields earned a reputation as a change agent in the 25 years she spent with the Atlanta Police Department, where she rose from the rank of beat officer to the chief of police. She also understands strategy, tactics, and the need to produce results in police work, which she did as a chief in Atlanta, including a three-year decline in felonies. She was the unanimous recommendation from the diverse panel of Louisvillians who interviewed her. Chief Shields, welcome to the podcast, and again, welcome to Louisville. Thank you, Mayor Fisher. Well, let's start at the beginning. <laughs> okay. why, why in the world were you interested in law enforcement and police work? Um, it, it took me a while to, to realize that that was going to be the path that I was going to pursue, and it was one of these where I, I sat down and I said, well, what's, what's your calling? What, what do, I, do you want to do? And I'd always been fascinated by criminal investigations, and I'd always, it had always bothered me when I saw vulnerable people that needed help, and I wanted to be able to help them in a non-traditional way. And it just, policing just, it drew me to policing, and specifically I knew I wanted to police in a, a large city. And was there a particular incident that happened to you when you were young or got you involved? Interested? No, no, I think it was just, you know, I think I, I had always been gravitated towards the profession, but I had really been, I'd been brought up in a, a manner that expected I would pursue a, a career in business. And so it was really, I finally took the time to stop and listen to myself. Mm -hmm. Well, because you went to Atlanta and you were in the uh, stockbroker business, right? Right. So I, I became a, a registered as a stockbroker up north in, um, in Boston and upstate New York. When I came to Atlanta, I knew I was going to leave the industry. I'd already made the decision by then that this was not my calling. So I did gain, get employment in Atlanta to tie over while I sorted through the police application process. That's an unusual path. But, uh, <laughs> well, and congratulations. I mean, you've had a stellar career and a national reputation as someone that gets things done as a reformer, somebody that's always interested in what's next because uh, policing yeah. is going through a real transition period it's, in the country. Yeah, it's, uh, we're in a very tough space and it's long overdue. The, it's, you know, I think that for so long, policing is very, it's a very hard culture and it's very culturally driven. And unfortunately, prior to the advent of all of the technology that we have now, whether it's iPhones with cameras or body-worn cameras, a lot of the behaviors I, we weren't aware of or we just were not responsive enough to. Um, so it's, it's a very difficult time, but if this profession is going to improve, we, we, we simply have to change. And I'm, I'm personally, I'm glad we're being called out on it. Well, so to me, it's an exciting time. Now, maybe yep. it's easy for me to say that because I'm not on <laughs> no. the day-to-day -day line right now, but... Uh, our, the consciousness of our country mm -hmm. in our cities is so much more elevated now yes. on issues related to race, justice, education, social determinants of health. I think for those that are really engaged in yep. the mission of lifting others up and seeing that as part of their life calling, yep. I mean, policing is going to be at the front lines of this change. It's, it's huge for all the reasons you stated. And also, I think what we're, we're recognizing is police should not be the front lines for so many of the issues that have nothing to do with law right. enforcement. And unfortunately, for the last 
20, 25 years, we've been the front line of social work. And it's a really, it's a very um, gray space and sometimes we've navigated it really well and other times we've, it's been a disaster. So I agree with you, it's a good time. Well, there's been no systemic investment no. into the police department to say you're supposed to be a social worker, yeah. <laughs> a homeless expert, True. a mental health expert, a, a marriage counselor. Yeah. And so, you know, we're, in many respects, we're getting the results that our system is designed to produce. That's fair. And so we're now calling upon it, mm -hmm. both locally and nationally, to change the systems and to make the investments, maybe not directly in police departments, but yeah. other areas as well. And then this whole notion of co-producing public safety. Uh, what, what does that mean? So essentially it's, and this is I think the thing, you know, what I, my responsibility for the, the police department is, is to help them understand this because co-producing is exactly what it is, but that we had all the talk around defunding, when really what you're trying to do is you're trying to stand up a model where police and caseworkers, social workers, uh, subject matter experts in areas other than law enforcement are working hand in glove with us to get the results that we need. And what I see is um, what, what, what we're looking at here, right? So a call comes into 911 and the dispatchers realize this is the person needs assistance, but they don't need 911 assistance. So we triage it and we have a caseworker go out and, and handle the call in lieu of a police officer. Um, if the caseworker deems that the that they want police, we go with them. It's really, it's really, I think we're finally investing legitimately in the partners that we need to have at the table. Um, and I think our results will be much stronger as a result. Yeah, so public safety is a much bigger issue than enforcement. Oh, right? it's and, and so often people look at, mm -hmm. well, it's the police's. Well, what about prevention and intervention and yep. reentry and it's just so much more than the police department can do by themselves. So this is gonna be a very interesting uh, time for our city as we go through these changes. It is, but what I would say to you too is it's everywhere. You know, I think when you, this is the one thing I'll say, that when you work for a city, you become so immersed and think this is your issue and it's just, you just can, you can be burdened by the day-to-day -day demands and believe that somehow you just you just can't it's hard to see the light sometimes but the reality of it is one of the things this is why i'm so invested in major city chiefs and having come from atlanta you can see this is everywhere everyone is having to figure out how to navigate this and so i think that that will make us all stronger that we all recognize the need to start going in a similar direction so similar to mayors, you know, I'm part of the United yes. States Conference of Mayors. That's our learning platform. You're more than a part of it. You're the president of it, Mayor. <laughs> well, it's been great. <laughs> it's been great. And so you've been very active in the major yep. cities chiefs association as well. Tell us a little bit about that. It's so it's um, large city departments are members to this organization. And the idea is we talk on a regular basis. We had a, a call last week, for example, to agent, what are agencies struggling with? And one of the, the issues many of them are struggling with is getting employees to get the COVID shot. Um, gun violence was another issue we discussed. Everyone is seeing gun violence. And you, you, start to, you, you start to realize that the issues are the same or similar in every agency. There may be some nuances. Um, and you, you can hear from your peers what worked for them, what didn't. We're, we've got this, uh, the huge, uh, the gun violence, uh, the violence intervention, the GBI, 
coming here. So a couple people, I asked about that, a couple of people that have already rolled it out to ask them, do you have any feedback to help me figure out the best way that LMPD and our partners can roll this out? So it's a really good platform on which to glean knowledge from the experiences of others who are in the same, same boat as you are. No, exactly. I've, I've just thought the Conference of Mayors, major seats, you've, you've got to get outside of your day-to-day -day okay. to get your breakthrough thoughts yep. and then also not make mistakes that other people have already made. Exactly. You know, so I mean, we're trying to do as much good as quickly as we can in our jobs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so what drew you to uh, this job in Louisville? You had lots of opportunities yeah. all over the country. So I did, you know, and at first, um, I think I knew, I mean, first off, I knew I was, I did not want the private sector yet. I really enjoy policing and I really enjoy mentoring police and helping to bring them to the next level. Uh, I think if I'm doing my job properly, I'll sit with the t at the table with my executive command and know that any one of them can be a strong police chief in the country. I really, I enjoy the, the teaching role um, down to the officers as well, helping them become better at what they do. I, and I also know that that I'm that my mind has I've accepted I've come to accept a long time ago probably about 10 years ago the shortcomings of policing and what we had to do differently so when I started looking at the the job openings in law enforcement and there was quite a few of them unfortunately um, LMPD resonated with me in a manner that none of them did um, First off, from a, a human level, I was, I was just, I was devastated by Breonna Taylor's killing. It was just, as you know better than, as everyone in LMPD knows, was, it was just horrible. Um, and, but as I removed my personal side from it and put my professional um, mind to work, I was able to analyze the incident and what I understood from it was there were a number of similarities to what we went through in the Atlanta Police Department in 2007. We had a uh, police raid that was, um, it was, we had investigators falsify the warrant and we ended up killing a, a 95 year old woman named Katherine Johnson. And it was horrible, but it also, really it brought us it brought us to our knees um, and a huge um, after action report was done on our department by um, an out, outside law firm it looked at that and another incident that happened in 2009 and so what I took away from it and this is what really has helped me become better at my job is I came to terms with why we came up short it's very easy to focus on well, they lied on the warrant, or they should have had a, another buy from the location. The reality of it is the culture of policing has allowed us to cut corners in minority neighborhoods. We don't, and this is across America, we, when the light is not on us, we, we've gotten to a space where we perform differently. And, and it's a huge problem. And you have to own that internally and you have to understand and be willing to be open to the fact of, no, we did do this differently because it was a black neighborhood. You just, you have to come to terms with that. And I saw my department struggle with that for a long time um, because it's easier to think it's just a one person's bad decision or what have you. So when I saw 
really became um, fluent in what occurred with Brianna Taylor. It was, I had the roadmap of how the LMPD was gonna respond because I'd been there. And so I knew, and, and allow me to say, the Atlanta Police Department, we went through a, a rough spell because we denied, we didn't wanna believe we were that bad. We didn't wanna believe that we did it because of race. Um, so once we navigated out of that, our department became so much stronger and so much more prof professional, quite frankly. So I knew that because of the history, because of my experience with these incidents, and because I had policed for 25 years in the home of the civil rights movement, in a city that's predominantly black, in a police department that's predominantly black, that because of my environment, I was fortunate enough to have an awareness that in other environments you, you may not have. And I knew that I could come up here and I could leave this department in a manner it needed to be led. And that's important to me because I really value policing as a profession and I want, to get, I want us to get it right. So you've been on the job now two weeks. I have. A lot of what you just said was pretty profound, but uh, <laughs> you're a new chief. Any new chief comes in with skepticism. Mm -hmm. um, and that was even compounded more by Rayshard Brooks in the sure. Atlanta situation. Uh, so how have you been received by LMPD? What are some of your early learnings and observations of our department? Um, so it has been a, it's, it's been great. It's been great because I think the, the area I was most concerned about was whether or not the police would be at all engaged. And I say that because, not because they've had, it's been a really difficult 10 months for the city. And it's when you start, when you, it's kind of we talked earlier, when you work in that environment, the same environment every day, you start to become part of the fishbowl and you don't see things as clearly, you stress over minutia and you just, you, your insides become knotted. And really the only way you can get out of that is, is truly step away. And because of the staffing issues, these folks haven't had the time off I would like them to have to step away, to come back mentally. I mean, they're, they're doing it to the best they can, but I was very concerned that they would not be engaged and that can be really hard to turn around. And what I will tell you is it's been 180 degrees the opposite. The people, the, the officers that I have met here are, are pining to work, are proud of the job, are proud of LMPD, they just wanna be, they wanna be told what they can do. And they wanna know that, hey, if I'm doing this and I'm doing it in a manner in which we're taught that I will be backed. And so for me, it's been really, I'm really grateful because when you have folks that wanna work and they want to do it the right way, we, the sky's the limit. And I, I don't say that lightly. So that for me was like, wow, this is, this is great. Well, so we, have started improving and reforming yep. and auditing uh, before your arrival. And one yes. of our things we wanted to do was kind of coincide the arrival of a new chief uh, with the completion of a top to bottom review of the department. Uh, before the review, we've made lots of improvements like the passing of Brianna's Law, the Civilian Review Board, uh, use of force, yep. uh, tear gas protocols, crowd control protocols, allocating funds for diversion programs, it goes yep. on and on. But we really wanted a thorough review and the Hillard Heights review was intended just to do that. I'm a business guy that just happens to be mayor and I've always believed that audits make you so much they stronger. They do. 
and healthy cultures look at audits as kind of like gifts from outside That's experts true. to say, ah, these are areas where we can do yes. better. So talk a little bit about Hilliard Heights, what's that, what that found, how you're in these initial few days, how that's being received by the department. I imagine everything from massive excitement to massive <laughs> denial. <laughs> and uh, what are you learning uh, so far with that? So all I can say on Hilliard Heights is thank you because what it does is, and I was so glad when I heard that y'all were doing this because this is what allowed us to improve in Atlanta. We had the outsider come in because what it does is it validates a chief's message. And because otherwise, if I'm just talking, someone might say, well, you know, that's just, that's her opinion. The data, the data is irrefutable. And which is why I'm a huge fan of data used to improve performance. Um, and so to come in and have the report generated in my second week, finalized, is, is a huge win because it's a roadmap. It's, it's the roadmap to move forward. And if it hadn't been done and it hadn't been completed, I pro it would have taken me a good six months to right. drill down and get the same level of information. So I'm very appreciative of all the people that sat on, I'm sure it was untold phone calls to get this done. So it's a roadmap. And what I've sensed is that I, I think that because it's fair. It's not pro city hall. It's not pro police. It's not like us or them. It's owning the shortcomings. And it also, and it, it impacts. So it's not just a criticism of the police. It's saying also in there, this is what you LMPD leadership can do better. So your officers have an easier job so that they're better positioned to succeed. So that the, the, the report actually is very, if I'm an officer, I'm, I'm glad I'm seeing a lot of this stuff in black and white. Right. Um, you know, are there things that we have to absolutely drill down on that I'm, I'm very concerned about? Um, the disproportionate traffic stops on black motorists in areas that it just doesn't align with the population at all is a, is a huge problem, but good, it's in data. So let's, so now let's get over the fact of we don't like it, we don't believe it, it's there. What are we going to do to move forward? Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful because it really drilled down in so many areas. Well, and what I've found in, when you're going through a transition of culture, which yep. is, look, our goal is to be the very best police department in the country. We're not there yep. right now, okay? Yep. But that should always be our goal. So then how does your team embrace that type of yep. improvement orientation? It starts with data yep. and then an the openness that every organization has got weaknesses. Absolutely. So the strong ones then drop the excuses, yep. they embrace the data, and they work with the community to move forward. And so the concept of police community legitimacy. And the police yeah. are only legitimate if the community there says they are. There you go. So how do we go about uh, enhancing that partnership between the police and the community? Well, first off, I'll say, I think in my conversations with the, the executive command staff, the report for them, they're grateful for the pieces. They want stuff written down. They don't want subjective. And I think that that's, that's huge because for us to improve our posture in the community, there has to be clear direction on what we expect of people. And freelancing it is not, is not cutting it, obviously. My goal is to get the executive command and the command staff to understand you need to be out there, you need to be engaged with the community. 
and you need to be with your officers to understand how they're engaging with the community. You can't just have people leave roll call and think that's gonna work well. You need to know the people that you are here to serve. If I've got someone in my community and they, I want, they're unhappy, they have concern, I want them to be able to call me. They should, real time. And it's, it's humanizing it. We've become so, I'm a huge fan of technology, I'm a huge fan of data, but one of the things that has happened is with the advancement of that, and we've advanced uh, at a dramatic rate of speed in the last 10 years um, in our technological capabilities as it aligns with law enforcement is, it's put us in a space where we don't even have to get out of the police car a lot of times. And so at some level, we've just, the human element and who we're there to serve and doing it properly has just been lost. Um, and I think that we, it's very fundamental. You don't be a robot in front of a person, you know, talk to them listen to them, care about them. Um, we can really come off sometimes as really, really jerks. And I think sometimes it's just stepping back and saying, you know, would you want someone to talk to your wife that way, your mom that way? I mean, care about the person. You don't, you know, you don't have to agree with them, approve of what they're doing, but just care about them. Um, it's very fundamental. Um, but so our culture can, has really, can very, uh, insulate us from some of the most um, basic of behaviors that we just need to engage in. So you've talked about police community interactions there to a large extent. That's one of your top two focus areas yes. coming in. The other one is uh, gun violence reduction. Louisville and many cities around the country had a very difficult year in 2020, especially the latter half when the full yes. brunt of the pandemic kicked in. Uh, what are your observations thus far about gun violence and related homicides in Louisville uh, so far and your plan to address that? So, and this was where the major city chief's call was just, it was just so interesting to hear that every chief was struggling this in like with a dramatic rise of gun violence. And it's really interesting and I'm sure there'll be studies done as we move forward to see the all the different ways in which the COVID and the shutdown of schools and after school programs, how it's impacted this, because it's not just the gun violence, but it's also younger people engaging in it. Um, I think that one of the things I, I'm really hopeful about is the GVI program that's being stood up here. Um, it has been successful in other cities, and I, there was some data on it when we were on the call last, and I wish I had it exactly, but it was so basic that really just having a communication, a conversation with someone who is engaged on the outskirts of gun violence can, can dramatically change the likelihood that that person will be involved in for future gun violence, like 25 to 50%. So, which is to, to me a program I cannot become immersed in enough because anything that is an alternative to just a tactical approach is, is, is a win. Um, so that will be huge for us. Um, and it's also just have, making sure that the officers are, are engaged, are out talking to people. We have a lot of work to do, but with the sensitivities surrounding Louisville and LMPD as a result of um, Breonna Taylor, it is different. You can't just come in and just hit it head on tactically and think that even if your tactics are very different, because I'm a big believer in intelligence, um, and that is 
this individual we know is a repeat of violent offender, they have a warrant on them, let's get them off the street. So I'm, I'm not one to just throw spaghetti on a wall and say, hey, let's have a plan based on that. I'm, it's very deliberate. I still believe that just because of the, the sensitivities in the greater Louisville area, we really need to approach this in a very organic manner, which is why GVI is gonna be essential. And all the community partners that are associated Absolutely. with Absolutely, right. absolutely. So let's close with that. I mean, what would be your message to the community? I think that what I would say is LMPD fully understands that we cannot do this on our own. And to the extent possible, I will welcome and embrace anyone who will work with us. Um, I think one of the things I'm really trying to, to encourage the external partners, especially some of those that are more highly organized, is we need to move forward, which means at some level we have to start healing. And I think that I think that LMPD is central to that healing process, and I, and I hope that, that we can accomplish this um, as a unit, as a team. Well, Chief, uh, thanks for your dedication over these two weeks. <laughs> uh, thanks Thank for being you. off to a fast start here. Yeah. We're hearing great things back from the community about your authentic uh, approach where you obviously care about the profession in our community, so we yeah. appreciate that. Thank you, Mayor. All right, all right. Well, thanks everybody for listening in. I'm sure we'll have the chief back in the future as well, and I'll look forward to seeing you on the next podcast.